Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be worshiping with you. We are a bit lighter here this morning. I think that probably reflects the fact that cases are rising. And so I just want to take this opportunity to let you all know that we are very happy to welcome you into the sanctuary to worship in person with us if you are comfortable doing that. But I hope that none of you feel uh, press, pressured or shoulded. Should I, we don't want to be shooting on you. Uh, telling you that you should be worshiping here, that, that this is the only place to worship. Uh, we're making this available for people f- who feel uh, comfortable joining. And, and if you are coming, we're wanting to do everything that we can to make you feel safe. But we also want to do everything that we can to enable you to worship at home as well. Hence, uh, a lot of the, some of the technology improvements that we've been working hard on here. Uh, so I just want to say that in the midst of wherever, whatever you're feeling as uh, um, some of the cases are rising in the Minnesota area right now. Well, I'm very aware that this upcoming Tuesday is Election Tuesday, and I like watching the news in a variety of formats. I like reading about the news. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there have been a lot of people uh, in preparation for this Tuesday for a long time trying to predict what is going to be happening. There's this like, I think there's like a, a betting market where there are odds and you can like wager money and it can pay out based on what's going to unfold in all the different election situations. I've heard a lot of people uh, commenting on this and predicting that we're going to see a blue wave where the Democrats take over the House, the Senate, and the President. Uh, I've heard other people saying, no, 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 it's the opposite. Trump's going to win big. Just like in 2016, you can't trust the polls. In 2016, the polls were way off. They're going to be way off now, and Trump's going to win, and the Republicans are going to win. Other people have been trying to prognosticate, well, if this person, if Joe Biden wins, what does that mean for the economy or the stock market or the future of the healthcare system? And then vice versa, what does it mean if Trump wins? Uh, Other people have been predicting other things, like not necessarily that high level who's going to win, but more like concrete what's going to happen on the ground. I heard that uh, the FBI is concerned about possible rioting and looting following the election, and Walmart has removed all guns and ammo from their store because they're uh, maybe not predicting, but recognizing it's a possibility and they're very concerned. They don't want people breaking into their store to steal guns. So there are a lot of people out there trying to figure out what's going to happen on Tuesday. And there are a lot of people weighing in with their opinion, prognosticating and predicting what they think is going to happen this coming Tuesday. I think everybody recognizes that there's a, you know, we don't know for sure how things are going to unfold, but we still do. We still engage in this exercise of having pundits come on, Having people come on and try and predict or say this is how this is going to unfold or if this happens then this is going to happen. And I think we do this because everybody recognizes that something momentous could be unfolding on Tuesday. Something a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. And it's our way, doing all this predicting and prognosticating, it's our way of preparing ourselves for what is coming. It's a way for us to envision or imagine all these different scenarios and then feel what we'd feel in advance and and pretend like this could happen or this could happen and then prepare ourselves for how we might respond to these different scenarios. 
So today, uh, Sunday morning before the election, I'd like to do a little bit of this as well. I'd like to do a little bit of predicting and prognosticating around the election so that in a similar way or a similar purpose, we can be spiritually prepared for what happens. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be predicting who's going to win the election. I don't know. But that doesn't mean we can't know anything. And the passage that I want us to consider for today, Jesus is doing some predicting. Jesus is doing some prognosticating about uh, uh, the immediate future for the disciples after he dies, but he talks about it in a way that feels general enough that it applies to us today and for the election coming on Tuesday. And so I want to read our passage. This passage comes from John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. I want to read it, and I just want you to listen and, and pay attention to some of the stuff that he's saying as he's looking towards a future where the disciples are going to experience a big event, his death. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus is doing some predicting here. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I mean when I say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly, without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a long passage, and there's a number of different things that Jesus is saying to his disciples throughout this passage. But generally what he is talking about is he is predicting that there is going to be difficulty that's coming to them as it leads up to his crucifixion and then at his death. Earlier in our passage, he named some specifics about what this difficulty is going to be. Disciples are going to be rejected by people. They'll be thrown out of the temple. Some of the people are going to be persecuting them uh, to a significant degree. And some of that stuff's unique to their time. But there's other things that he's talking about here where he's naming the difficulties that they are facing that is more general about just being in this world. And in the midst of making these predictions like this difficult stuff is going to be happening to you, you're going to be facing these difficult things as people persecute you or as hard things happen in the world, he's also making some promises. So he's predicting that these difficult things will happen, but he's also making some promises. And there are two promises that stand out. The first is in verses 20 through 22. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy, and a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but, you will, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So the first promise that Jesus is making is that in the midst of the grief, something is going to happen, that the grief is leading to something that will give birth to something that results in joy. So Jesus is predicting grief, but promising joy. And I think it's important to notice that when Jesus is predicting grief, it's not like a small amount of grief. It's a significant amount of grief. It's them losing Jesus. He's dying. It's them being rejected by people and experiencing and facing physical persecution. But what Jesus is saying is that this grief is going to give birth to joy. So... First prediction, grief. First promise, joy. The second prediction, trouble. A second promise in verse 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he says, in the midst of our hardship, you and I will have peace. So as we look to the future, Jesus is predicting for the disciples, but I think it applies to us too, predicting that that there's going to be trouble, that there's going to be hard stuff that comes. But because we follow Jesus, because we trust in him, he is saying, I promise that in the midst of that trouble, you will have peace. So Jesus is making a prediction, but he's also making promises. Predicts grief and trouble, but then gives the promise that in the midst of our grief and trouble, we will experience joy and peace. So as I look to this upcoming Tuesday and and even beyond, 
these words of prognostication, this predicting that Jesus is doing, this feels relevant to me now. Just as it was relevant to the disciples then, it feels relevant now. In the midst of all the voices of people out there trying to tell you and me, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is what you have to do, these are the only words that I feel confident saying, this is a prediction and a prognostication that I can kind of hang my hat on. In this world, you will have grief and trouble. This Tuesday, I'm saying to you, New City, you will experience grief and trouble. But, take heart. Jesus is giving us joy and peace in His presence. Have you ever experienced this dynamic where you've lived through a season or an encounter or an experience where there's been grief and trouble, but because of God's presence, you've experienced joy and peace? And too long ago, I got an email from a friend of mine who had just recently been diagnosed with cancer. And I think this discovery was pretty shocking to him. And as the doctors explained to him the surgery that they were recommending and the subsequent process of recovery and rehabilitation that he was going to have to go through, it was clear that he was facing real trouble, personal trouble, trouble with his body. On top of that, this person leads a team of people at a nonprofit. He had some big plans for this upcoming year, for the remainder of this year, and a whole team of employees that were counting on him, and his sickness is throwing a monkey wrench in all of that. So not only is this trouble for him personally and for his body and for his health, it's trouble for his team and for the employees and for the nonprofit that he runs. On top of that, there's obviously grief. He's married and he has children. And he's just been diagnosed with cancer. And so they are all holding on to this possibility and prospect of losing their dad, their husband, undoubtedly experiencing grief. And yet, as my friend has sent out email updates, he hasn't sugarcoated anything. But I have been struck by the depth of his joy and his peace as he describes the experience as he's going through it in real time. Describes how grateful he is from the love he's receiving from employees. Talked about the care that his medical team is giving him and how thankful he is for that. He's talked about how encouraged he has felt trading emails with people, getting calls, having people talk to him. People have made him meals, and he feels encouraged and loved in that way. He's going through a very real challenge, but in the midst of this trouble, and in the midst of the grief that he's facing, he's, you know, something has been happening within him. So that he is having these experiences of joy, and he feels at peace. And I think as I've been reading this, I've been so aware that this is not a given. This is not a guarantee. It's not a given that when a person's diagnosed with cancer, that they'll necessarily notice all the things that are happening around them as gifts and feel loved by all the people around them. It's not a given that a person will have the sort of community 
He can communicate honestly with them, share openly about what he's going through, and that experience gives him this sense of peace and joy and of being loved. It's not a given that a person's going to go, like, get a cancer diagnosis, and then that cancer diagnosis becomes the thing that ushers him into a place of deeper peace and of deeper joy and deeper awareness of how loved he is. These are not givens. Even if there's a reality, it's not necessarily a given that you see and you notice and you experience things in this way. And yet, this is what my friend is experiencing. In this world, he's experiencing trouble grief. And yet in his soul, he's filled with joy and peace. In our passage, John is trying, he's at pains. He's he's telling this story about Jesus, but he's telling it for our benefit. And so he is at pains to communicate to you and me how this can be. How it is that you and I can face grief and trouble, but be filled with joy and peace. And in our passage, he is specifically naming that this comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is sending to us. So they're grieving about Jesus leaving, but Jesus is saying, these are the birth pangs, and they are giving birth to something better, and that better thing is the presence of the Spirit in your life. Verses 5 to seven through 7. Now I'm going to Him who sent me. None of you who ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things, because I'm leaving. But very truly I tell you, it is good for you. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is making explicitly clear when he leaves the disciples is that it is the presence of the Spirit, that this is the gift that brings to me and to you peace and joy. What is also clear is that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that is in Jesus. And so it is Jesus' Spirit that is in us. It is Jesus who is with us. So what John is writing about, what he's trying to make abundantly clear by quoting the story of Jesus talking to his disciples, is that when we face difficulty, trouble, and grief, that we can experience peace and joy because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who is in us. Because God's Spirit is within us when we face grief and loss. There is a way that you and I can turn towards God and that these experiences of grief and loss can be like birth pangs that give birth to a deeper awareness of God's Spirit with us, which then results in peace and joy. When we do this, this is this process, there is a shift that is happening within us. We're still disappointed by whatever grief and trouble we may be facing, but it means less because we're shifting away from our focus on the things that's causing us grief and loss towards 
this awareness, this noticing of God's presence with us. And I mean, it's kind of like we want two things. We want our life to be comfortable and easy and everything go well, but we also want to be close to God and intimate with God and aware that the God of the universe is in our life. When grief and trouble comes, it's because this stuff that we want on the outside isn't going the way that we want it to and we don't like it. But what happens is when it comes, it forces us to turn towards God in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way we typically fail to do. And so then this grief and this trouble becomes this catalyst for this turning towards and noticing of God's presence. The the birth pangs that help us turn inward Notice God with us and notice that this is the thing that we actually want more than anything else, more than everything just going well out here. We really want to live our life with God. So the grief and the trouble that we don't really want and causes us very real pain, and we still don't want it, but we become aware of the way that it causes this shift inward to happen, where we become more aware of God's presence. And as we become more aware of God's presence, we become, this is what we want more than anything else. And it starts to bring about joy and peace within us. I've seen this happen over and over. I'm sure you have too. A friend loses a job, but because of that discovers God in new ways. Or people, I've heard people say this too, like they, they get this diagnosis or sickness, but then they'll say something crazy like, it was this sickness, this terrible disease that brought healing to my soul. So that by the end of their sickness, as they're emerging and no longer have this disease, I've heard people say, I'm almost worried about not being sick anymore because this sickness has brought me so close to God. I've heard other people talk about the pain they experience in their marriages, but then confess that it is that very conflict and pain that has brought them so close to God or helped them grow in their self-awareness and dependency on God with them. This happens over and over for so many people. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of trouble, as we experience grief, people discover God in new ways, and it transforms everything. And the hardship doesn't cease to be hard, but the awareness of God's presence bears the fruit of peace and joy in the midst of that hardship. Jesus to the disciples, but to us too, predicts, you and I, we're going to have trouble. There are sinful people in the world. We're going to experience grief. grief. Life is a process of, of, of dealing with loss. We're going to have grief and trouble. But, I'm giving you the Spirit, so in the midst of that, you'll have peace and joy. So as I think about this upcoming Tuesday, This is the prediction and promise that I feel rock solid making to you. This Tuesday, you and I, and and really beyond after, you and I, we're going to experience grief and trouble. 
It could happen for any number of reasons. I mean, you may feel grief or, or feel trouble because the candidate you vote for, and you may think yes, this person really should win, loses. And that may cause you grief and trouble. Or maybe it's the reverse. Your candidate does win, but then the whole country seems to freak out or the world freaks out, and that causes you grief and trouble. Or maybe you'll have grief and trouble because you are in what is called a politically conflicted marriage, and you and your spouse will have an argument about what happens on Tuesday night. That will cause you grief and trouble. Or maybe it's worse. Maybe there's riots and looting in your neighborhood that cause you grief and trouble. Or maybe you'll have grief because this election re-traumatizes old racial wounds for you. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. But given the volatility surrounding this election, it seems certain to me that in some way we're all going to experience grief and trouble. Some of it possibly very real and concrete grief and trouble. But in the midst of this grief and trouble, which is sure to come, I want you to hear this promise. God will not leave you. So whatever unfolds, the promise is that God's Spirit will be there with you. And the grief and trouble can be birth pangs that cause you to turn inward, to discover God's presence in new ways, the fruit of which are peace and joy. So, what I want to say to you, what I want to encourage you to do, what I want you to think about, is simple. Just make space this week, especially this week, to notice God's presence with you. Jesus says that the source of our peace and joy in the midst of a world full of trouble and grief, the source of our peace and joy is the presence of the Spirit. And this is pure gift. God just gives us to us as grace. But you and I, we have to make space to notice. So when you're feeling upset about the outcome of the election, make space to pray. Or before the election, make space to pray. Or when you're angry about someone posting something on Facebook about your candidate or your cause, before you reply, hit the pause button in your soul. Talk to God about it. Notice what is happening within you. Maybe call someone up and process with them, not about how terrible that person is, but about what is happening in your soul. It causes you to react that way. Or when election results don't come as fast as you'd like, don't give in to rage. Put your trust in God and notice the good that waiting does. Whatever happens this week that leaves you feeling grief or feels you, finds you in trouble, just don't let that get the best of you. Let that be a reminder to stop, to pause, and to notice that God is still with you. There's no tax plan or Supreme Court justice or future ACA reality that is going to remove God's presence from you. I don't mean to minimize the grief or the trauma or the loss or the trouble. 
There's real pain caused by political division, by riots, the cancer that my friend is facing. This is real. I'm not minimizing this trouble. I'm not minimizing the grief. But in the midst of the grief and trouble, God is with you. God's presence is there. And I just want to call our attention to this and remind us, search for God's presence. Hit the pause button. Notice God's presence with you. And receive this good gift that comes from God's presence, the gift of peace and joy. Let's pray. God, in the midst of a world convulsing, would you help us to trust in you, to notice you, and would you give us these beautiful fruits of the Spirit, peace and joy this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.